Since you enjoy this show, I thought I'd throw out there another podcast you might like. It's a show about the intersection of design, technology, and the creative process. It's the Design Better podcast. And in each episode, hosts Eli Woolery and Aaron Walter bring you conversations with inspiring creative thinkers like John Cleese and David Sedaris, people who bring design and technology together like Tony Fadal, co-inventor of the iPhone and the iPod. So far, some standout episodes for me have been when they talk to John Cleese of Monty Python about creativity. That is one of my favorite topics and one of my favorite people. Then also one of my favorite musicians, Tycho, about his creative process. And they talk with Seth Godin about how creativity is an act of generosity. I've always been fascinated by design, the creativity behind it, the implementation of it, both to improve our lives from a functionality and user interface standpoint, also from an artful bringing beauty into the world approach. So whether you're a design curious person like me or a design pro, Design Better is a great listen that inspires and informs. Subscribe to the Design Better podcast at designbetterpodcast.com or in your favorite podcast app like the one you're using right now. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. I'm your host, Eric Fisher, and this is the show where I talk to the people behind the productivity. This week, I'm incredibly excited to welcome back to the show Todd Henry. He's been on the show many times to talk about his various books, including The Accidental Creative, Die Empty, Louder Than Words, Herding Tigers, and now his brand new book, which I am super excited for, The Motivation Code. Discover the hidden forces that drive your best work. And I feel like I'm saying this a lot recently, but it definitely rings true here for sure that this book, The Motivation Code, will be one of the definitive productivity books that I will suggest to people if they have not already read it and applied it. When Todd emailed me about it, as you'll hear in our recording, I was one, super excited to hear from Todd again, but two, to hear what the subject of the book was. But then I went through the book and took the assessment that comes along with it. And that's what we unpack in this conversation. We cover what kind of rigorous scientific study went into this book and then how you, as somebody who wants to improve your productivity, but often maybe if you're clear about what you need to do, but often aren't clear why you do want to do some of the things and don't want to do some of the other things. In other words, you lack motivation. You're going to find out how and why to lean into your motivation code to get things done. So if you've ever found that you've lacked motivation at times, which is pretty much everybody, you're going to love this conversation with Todd Henry. Before we get to that, I want to take one second to just ask a favor of you. If you enjoy my show, I would love for you to do me a favor by taking a quick two-minute survey to help me make this podcast better for you. You can do it real quick. Again, two minutes. Go to podcastlistenersurvey.com. That's all you need to do. Just go there. It'll help me help you make this podcast better for you. Again, that URL is podcastlistenersurvey.com. All right. Enjoy this conversation with Todd Henry. Well, this week, it is my privilege to welcome back to the show, Todd Henry. Todd, welcome back. Eric, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Honestly, I wasn't thinking about you coming out with a new book. Suddenly, I get this email from you. And not only was it great to see you know your name pop up in my inbox, because that's always welcome, but the book itself, I, I, I don't think we've ever talked about this topic specifically on this show. The book's called The Motivation Code. 
discover the hidden forces that drive your best work. I mean, we've talked about overcoming procrastination and things like that, but that's not necessarily what this is. So I guess give me some of the backstory here on why motivation is such a key factor and how did you come to this place of working on this book? Yeah, of course. Well, so first of all, I just want to be very clear. The reason I write books is so that I can be on your show. I just want to be really clear about that. That's the only reason I go through all the pain and toil of writing books is so that I can send you that email and say, will you please have me back on? Um, it works. Well, good, good. Thank you. Um, yeah. So about four years ago, 2016, I got an email from a friend of mine, Rod, who had, he was a 20 year veteran of a management consulting firm, a big management consulting firm, internationally recognized. And he said, Hey, I want you to take this motivation assessment that I've been working on. And, you know, I don't know about you, but I am very skeptical whenever I you know, come across an assessment. I don't need another set of letters to attach to my name. You know, I'm an INTP, you, or like, you know, here's my Enneagram type. Like we've got so many of those things out there right now that, you know, I was really skeptical. So kind of with, you know, eyes clearly rolling as I was doing it, I took this thing called the motivation code assessment and I got my results back. And frankly, Eric, I was completely blown away. In front of me was an explanation of why I'd made every high profile decision I've ever made, why I've succeeded in some roles and I've failed in others, why sometimes my life is, you know, really exciting and sometimes why it's like drudgery, um, why I can do some things with, you know, I'll stay up like four nights in a row until midnight to get something done. But then you ask me to like file five folders and I'm like, I'll put it off till, you know, three weeks from now. <laughs> I just like, I can't get the energy to take the five minutes to do it. And it, it really blew me away. Um, the only problem was that I was already working on another book at the time called Herding Tigers that came out a couple of years ago. And so over the course of the last four years, I've become involved with Rod and with the entire team of PhDs and researchers who have been working on this for a number of years. In fact, the research that we use for Motivation Code uh, was conducted over the course of about 50 years and basically comprises the largest repository of achievement stories in the history of humankind. Over a million achievement stories have been analyzed and parsed to figure out what the common themes are within those achievement stories. When people talk about why something was meaningful, why was a specific accomplishment so meaningful to them? Um, we parsed all of that language and about not quite 10 years ago now, uh, the first version of this assessment was developed as a way to begin to help people identify those themes that that really drive them. Um, and so I was fortunate to be brought in several years ago. And the thing that I learned about motivation, Eric, is that you know we tend to think about motivation in very broad terms. So we tend to use very almost we could call them blunt instruments to try to motivate ourselves or motivate others. You know, we you know, will use things like pay raises. Like if you're a manager, use pay raises or words of encouragement or flexibility, things like that. And that's fine. But those types of motivation don't necessarily have a lasting effect. Eventually, everyone kind of returns to you know, returns to the mean over time. But if we understand what uniquely drives each individual and we understand what uniquely drives us as individuals, those unique themes that really drive deep engagement, productivity, enthusiasm for our work, we can begin to bring more of that to what we do regardless of what our tasks are. And it, it does. It increases engagement, increases our sense of productivity and satisfaction with, with life and with work. People think of motivation as the two veins you can go down are the carrot or the stick. And that's it. Right. right. <laughs> and and this is much more about having, say, an internal polarity, knowing your internal polarity magnet wise, and then 
knowing what the polarity of the work you need to do is so that it, it kind of draws you to it or draws the work to you. At least that's the right. way I'm looking at it. Absolutely. Well, and when you talk about procrastination, you know, we procrastinate for, we might all procrastinate, but we do it for very different reasons. And I think that's what we misunderstand. You know, the reason that I'm procrastinating is going to be very different from the reason that Eric is procrastinating on a particular project. It, it affects us nonetheless. But when we begin to understand some of those underlying forces that are affecting us, um, then we can begin to instill some practices or disciplines in our life, or at least at the very least, we can begin to um, notice those patterns and recognize, oh, you know what, if I do this, it's very likely I'm going to fail because I'm probably not. But but if I do this with this perspective, or if I take this approach instead, I'm much more likely to position myself to succeed. Um, and so procrastination is often a function of a lack of understanding of some of these undercurrents of motivation that are going on in, in our lives. And then, then being aware of those those currents, I guess, allows you then to maybe flow with the current instead of fight the current. Absolutely. So, so let me give, let me give you an example of how this plays out in my life. So, uh, and I wrote about this in the book, but, um, you know, what we discovered in the course of the research is there are actually 27 motivational themes, um, 27 different places or ways that people get their motivational energy. And we call your motivation code, your top three to five themes. So those are really the ones that drive those moments of deep engagement and, and, uh, compelling work. Um, even there's even, uh, we've discovered there's even a bit of a correlation between operating in your, motivation code and experiencing flow, right? Um, experiencing that sense of being lost in your work, um, you know, and, and really sort of being deeply uh, creative. Um, but for me, one of my top motivations is a theme that we call meet the challenge. So for me, it's very important that I feel like there's some sort of imminent challenge available to me to conquer in order to feel engaged, to feel like I'm, I'm uh, motivated to do the work. The problem is a lot of the work that I do, Eric, is not necessarily immediately challenging. So think about, for example, writing books, you know. I guess in aggregate, writing a book is a huge challenge. You know, I have to write, you know, maybe a hundred thousand words to get to the 60,000 words to end up in the book or whatever it is. And it takes, you know, a couple of years to do. And there's all the research and all of that. But in aggregate, while it's a challenge in aggregate on a day to day basis, it doesn't necessarily feel challenging because I'm looking at this giant thermometer of a word count that I have to fill up. Well, that's not very imminently challenging. So I tend to, one of the shadow side attributes of that motivation meet the challenge is that when I don't feel challenged in my work, I tend to seek out things that might feel a little more challenging for me. So in full disclosure, in my entire adult life, I've probably played a grand total of maybe like five hours of video games, right? Like totally, maybe in my entire adult life, it's just not something I've ever really been. Now I have lots of other ways that I waste time, right? But like, that's never been the way that I've sort of distracted myself. But a couple of years ago, my son introduced me to a video game called Fortnite. Um, I've heard of and, that. <laughs> and I'm sure that, that many listeners probably are familiar with Fortnite. But for those who aren't familiar, uh, basically you're, you're, you're dropped onto an island. There are a hundred players. Um, you have to collect items and eliminate other players. And the goal is to be the last player standing at the end of the at the end of the competition, uh, each game takes about 20 minutes, you know, and it's like very discreet it's on an island, whatever. So I'll just say that this game, Fortnite, is like narcotics for somebody who's driven to meet the challenge because it's discreet. 
it's the the goals are clear it's challenging but it's just random enough because of what other players do that it, it's different every time right so one of the things that you know i have noticed is that i have to be careful not to get pulled into little things like that that i will do to distract myself as a way of meeting the challenge when my work doesn't feel challenging now for somebody else maybe somebody else is driven to to collaborate right that's one of their top motivational themes if that is one of your top motivational themes, you're going to want to spend time with people, be in a team context. You're going to want to be part of that group, regardless of whether it's productive or not. And so maybe if you're a manager and you're driven to collaborate, you might call meetings just for the sake of getting everybody together, because that's really what <laughs> where you get your motivational energy. But that may not necessarily be the most productive thing for the organization. Everybody else is thinking, I need to get my work done, right? So while there are many positive attributes of each of these places we get our motivational energy, there are also some shadow side attributes we have to be mindful of because those shadow side attributes can lead us down less productive or even potentially destructive paths. See, and I liked this because uh, one, I took the test and we'll go into that a little bit or the assessment, I should say. It's not a test. It's not a test of me. It's an assessment to me. Um, <laughs> you failed, Eric. I, yeah, you can't, I, I didn't want to break it to you I know. this way. But, you, you can't yeah. fail this. But anyways, no. uh, I love language. Anyways, uh, <laughs> Um, as I was going through the book, but also as I was doing the assessment and got my results, it hit me that it fit perfectly in almost a, here's another video game reference, a Triforce of the Enneagram Strength Finders, which were my two favorite other assessments, and then this one, because what I got on my assessment results aligned with my Enneagram type, which is a five, and my strengths from the Strength Finder, which I don't have in front of me to list off, but they all jive with, uh, again, this. The, in other words, my top five, um, uh, what is it called? My top five uh, motivations, mm-hmm. uh, they fit, I thought, with those. And so- yeah. It was a it was a really good confirmation for me. Yeah, and you know what's interesting is that what we're discovering is that motivation is kind of like the base layer of all of these things. So it makes sense that they would nest well with other assessments that you've taken, especially if they're, you know, scientifically rigorous assessments like Strengths Finder for sure is a scientifically rigorous assessment. Ours is scientifically rigorous. I mean, it's been developed by multiple PhDs over the course of you know decades. Um, but it would make sense that they nest. But what we're discovering is that Motivation is kind of like the base layer. It pairs with so many other ways of looking at yourself, so many other types of assessments or um, capabilities um, assessments, uh, because at the root of it, you know, we other assessments can tell you what you're good at, right? Um, you might be good at something, but it can't tell you whether you're motivated to do it. <laughs> and so when you begin to understand not only what you're good at, what you're capable of, but also where do you get your motivational energy when you pair those two things together? It is an incredibly powerful engine for productivity and engagement and, and all of those things, because, um, you know, all of a sudden you're not just doing tasks instead you're really it feels more like you're kind of on a mission because you're really bringing the uniqueness of who you are to what you do every day yes exactly and and i think that's the other key for me and you mentioned this already the shadow side attributes which are almost the dark side to your motivation that almost pairs well with again the enneagram where mm-hmm. you know brief 30 second synopsis there are nine types you're one of these nine types you may have other you're still uniquely you however it's that in health, you're typically one way with that type, and in unhealth, you're typically that way 
in that type. And the shadow side attributes uh, remind me and the positive attributes of each of these motivations made me think of that because it was, yeah. oh, when I'm healthy, when I'm when I'm using, in other words, when I'm using the polarities, hey, that goes back to the magnet I was talking about earlier. When you're talking about these polarities, the positive side is the healthy side and the shadow side is the negative side. And I love that you're giving that awareness of, hey, even if motivation is a positive thing, you're motivated to get things done, to do the work you need to do, et cetera. There are downsides to those motivations that if you're not careful, you can really wreak havoc. Absolutely. Especially, especially in the context of relationship, because listen, we don't exist as a, you know, in a vacuum in this world, we have to collaborate with other people. You know, most of us are on teams or we have relationships in our life. And one of the ways these motivations play out both positive and negative attributes of these motivations is in the context of relationships. So we find often, for example, in an organization, you've got conflict arising pretty often on a team where one person is driven, let's say driven to bring to completion. So primarily what they want to do is get things across the finish line. They want to check tasks off lists. They want to move forward and move on to the next thing. Completion is what drives them. That's where they get their motivational energy. You know, it doesn't matter. Frankly, it doesn't matter if it's really necessarily as good as it could be. They just want to get it done and move on, right? That's kind of where they get their energy. Somebody else might be driven to explore. So you're sitting in a meeting and and one person is saying, all right, let's do this and this and this. And then we could put this behind us and we'll move on to the next project. And somebody else who's driven to explore is saying, well, have we considered that maybe we should try this or maybe we should go back a couple of steps here and we should reconsider whether we're taking the right approach. And the person driven to bring the completion is saying, are you absolutely nuts? What are you talking about? We need to move forward. We need to get this done. We need to move on, right? So if we're motivated in those very different ways, Sometimes we just say, well, that person's difficult to deal with. I I just can't deal with that person or I don't like that person or we just don't click. But once we begin to understand, oh, wait a minute, it's because you're driven to explore and I'm driven to bring to completion. We need to have that conversation about the right moments in the lifetime of the the life cycle of a project when explore is I need to subvert my bring to completion motivation because explore is more important right now, right? And activate maybe one of my other motivations. And then there's a time in the life cycle of the project where you have to say, you know what, those explore questions, not very helpful right now. Right now, we need to just get this across the finish line. And so they both have moments in the life cycle of a project where they're incredibly valuable to the team. But if we don't understand that, if we don't have perspective on those motivational drives, then we don't understand where that conflict is coming from. We can't have a meaningful conversation about it. Well, and you just even hit on one of my own internal conflicts that's going on, which is two of my top motivations are bringing to completion and exploring. And so Mm -hmm. having those dual natures that almost go against each other, it's, it's, there's different modes inside of me, in other words, and I have to have that uh, internal team conflict facilitated, in other words. Right. Absolutely. Well, in, in those, so for example, if you're in your number, if you don't mind me saying your, your number one motivation, uh, on the assessment was to bring the completion. And so you're going to be driven, um, to be very focused, very purposeful. You want to make things happen. Um, you are going to be efficient. You're going to follow through the completion. You probably don't leave a lot of half finished projects in your wake. Most likely. I mean, I imagine you probably pretty much get stuff done when you decide. Now, you may not do everything you want to do, but when you decide to do something, you're going to get it done. Is that pretty accurate? Right. 
Um, the downside of that is you struggle maybe sometimes to relax until something is done, you know, or if something comes up that takes you off course, you're going to be a little bit frustrated by that. Or, you know, if you're just pushing forward, maybe sometimes you don't pay necessarily pay attention to all the details because you're just trying to get it done, you know, and sometimes that can that can lead to oversight of, you know, important details. Now, there's nothing wrong with any of that. It's just that, you know, you're getting your energy from moving things forward. And so those other things just take more of a backseat. Whereas somebody who's driven to establish, they have to get everything right as they go. And they won't move forward until they know everything is right. Everything's the way it's supposed to be. And then they'll take like two steps forward and then they'll make sure everything is right. Then they'll take two steps forward, you know, and that's kind of the way that they tend to move through the process. So when you say that you have that internal conflict of, you know, you love to explore and at the same time you want to bring things to completion, um, you know, it's good that you recognize that, that that is a potential internal polarity that you have to wrestle with as you go about your work. Um, because sometimes, you know, that drive to explore probably feels really annoying to the, the, the bring to completion motivation, which is like, but we got to get things done. We got to get things done. But internally, you still have that motivational drive to like ask questions and maybe you just need to give yourself permission mission and, and plan and say, hey, hold on, I am going to plan three hours to just ask questions and explore and strategize. And I'm not going to try to get anything done during that time because I want to feed that energy, right? That motivational energy, that drive to explore. But then I recognize that at the end of that, I'm going to just like kick into gear and I'm going to get a bunch of stuff done. But recognizing that will keep you from feeling guilty when you're exploring, but also keep you from feeling bad about yourself when you're just getting things done, but you're not scratching that itch to ask questions and explore. That's so dead on uh, in terms of what I've been thinking. And even, you know, prior to taking this assessment, where I've had to kind of go to is there's certain regimented time of the day, which is plow through, get the things done, check the things off the list, but also have other times of day and even one day a week where there's a more open kind of chunk of the day where it's free flowing. I don't have to worry about routines, even though that's kind of a routine in and of itself, but I'm allowing myself to have, you know, freedom within a structure to just go exploring. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and that's important, right? That's going to be important for you. If I were sitting down with you right now, walking through your results with you, which yeah. I've done with many people, that's exactly what I would advise you. So it sounds like you're already, you've already figured that out. You're moving down that path, but you need to make sure that these motivational drives are being met in some way. Still searching for a great candidate for your company? Don't search, just match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch that busy work. Instead, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. I wish I had Indeed when I was in the hiring process in roles in the past because it is a slow, arduous headache of a process to find the right people or at least it used to be, join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to find and hire great talent fast. In fact, in the minute I've been talking to you, 23 hires were made on Indeed, according to Indeed data worldwide. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash to-do list. Just go to Indeed.com slash to-do list right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash to-do list. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
if you feel stuck in some capacity, um, you know, like I'm, as I'm looking right now, your number three is overcome, right? And overcomers, which by the way, that's one of my top four. It's my number four. Um, you know, I have to feel like I'm working against some kind of odds or working against an enemy in some way. That's one of the ways that I'm driven. And as a matter of fact, this is one of my trigger motivations. So if you come to me and you say, Hey, Todd, there's a, um, there's a company that's uh, kind of like a David taking on the Goliath of their industry. And it's like, boom, I'm in. I don't care. I don't care what comes after. And like, I'm already in, you've already got me because overcome is one of my core motivations. It's one of the things that really drives my motivational energy. Um, and so you need to make sure in your life, as I do, that you have some kind of obstacle that you're working to overcome, some some sort of enemy that you're working against. And that has to be really clear in your mind uh, in order to feel like you're engaged in some capacity. Now, the negative of that is that you might create enemies where they don't exist, you know? So, <laughs> yeah. um, and that happens on teams a lot. And that happens a lot when I'm working in the context of a team. Like I invent, like I just got them watching, um, I don't know if you watched The Last Dance about the Chicago Bulls um, from the 1990s. Right, yeah, yeah phenomenal, uh, phenomenal, uh, series, but, um, they, they show several times throughout that series where Michael Jordan would invent a story in his head about some way that somebody else had slighted him or some way that somebody else had done something that had, you know, offended him in some way as a way to motivate himself to perform in the game that night. Right. So like he would invent these little stories, these little scenarios in his head so that he would have an enemy to work against. I guarantee you, if we were to send Michael Jordan through this, I guarantee you one of his top motivations is going to be overcome. He needs to feel like he's working against an enemy of some sort in order to achieve peak performance, to feel like driven and motivated to, to thrive. And so, um, you know, that's one of the things I have to be careful of because I can, I can sometimes look for enemies where they don't exist. And that can be very distracting sometimes. No, there's, there's nobody here working against you. Everybody's on the same team. Everything's fine, you know? Um, but yet I am still looking for that because that's where I, I want to get my motivation energy. Yeah, I was going to say, I look at the overcome motivation as the point where you cue the Rocky training montage. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, he's the, sure. you know, the, that's this is where I have the tiger and I guess just the Rocky theme. I forget what that's really called, but that's where that plays. And you're just like, all right, I'm in the gym or I'm, you know, I'm out running and I'm in other in other words, you're, you're uh, going up the stairs at the, the Philadelphia, the art museum there. So yeah, for sure. Yeah. If you, if you cry during, which, you know, guys don't admit that. Right. But like, like the, like the movie, the movie Rudy, right. Sorry, this is my second sports reference. I'm, I'm not like a sports guy. Right. But like the second, um, the movie Rudy, you know, about Rudy Rudiger from Notre Dame. Like I, every time I watch that movie, it moves me emotionally. Cause here's this like tiny little guy who wants to play for Notre Dame and nobody believes in him. And somehow he manages to make the team and does this amazing thing. You know, like I cry every single time I see that movie, same with like Braveheart or Cinderella man, or like any of these movies that are about over the pursuit of happiness, right? Any of these movies that are about overcoming the odds because I'm so driven by overcome that it just moves me when I see that. And like, I, I feel myself in that story when I see that happen. Um, and so one of the ways, you know, sort of like a shortcut to get to some of your motivation, sometimes it's just to ask like, you know, when am I moved emotionally, you know? Um, and, and sometimes you can even maybe even intuit some of these things just from the, you know, sort of the, the kinds of things that move you in your life, um, even separate from the assessment, but obviously the, assess the assessment has the scientific rigor that, you know, just sort of, you know, asking that question doesn't have. Yeah. Well, and that, or you can keep, 
you know, I have the tiger ready to cue at a moment's notice to, <laughs> to motivate you, you know, right, right. Uh, uh, again, I would say not just the song and its motivational properties that are inherent in the song, but the story of what you're overcoming, whatever your current story is, right? Like it's not, it's, it's having that narrative, kind of like having a healthy version of what you were talking about with Michael Jordan. Yeah. So in the, the way that he would create a narrative around, you know, somebody had slighted him and all that, like, you know, when sometimes you have a dream and then you wake up and then you imagine that that person really wronged you. Like my wife has done many times with me. It was just like, she wakes up and it's like, <laughs> <laughs> I woke up and you did this to me in your dream. And I'm like, I didn't do it. She's still mad at you. So it's still real. Like sure. avoiding that whole scenario, in other words, and, and creating a, a positive overcoming narrative scenario for you. Then play the song anyway. Yeah, exactly. Well, exactly. And, and that's the thing. Like, like, again, every single one of these 27 motivational themes has positive attributes and they have potential shadow side attributes. Um, and so we have to be mindful of that, that, the, you know, there are positives and shadow side attributes to each of these. So the positive and, and by the way, all of them are good. And that's the thing, too. Like, I've sent so many people through this and they were maybe even disappointed at what came back because they wanted it to be something else. And, and, and maybe you've had that same experience with other types types of assessments or, you know, it's like, no, 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 no. Every one of these 27 motivations is, is good. It's positive. It's the way that you're wired and that's fine. And it's going to be, give you some insight into how you can be more effective at doing the things that matter to you, but ignoring it and wishing it was something else isn't going to help you. So there are positive attributes to all of these and we need, and by the way, there are people at the top of every industry, every kind of role who are motivated by any one of these 27 motivations. It's about where you get your motivational energy. I think that's, again, one of the things that I like about this assessment, like the other two I mentioned, that have this light and dark side to them, the positive and negative polarity, because it's not about being okay with what you get. It's about owning that that is truly you and that there are positive and negative aspects to it. And you don't have to display the negative. You can lean in on the positive, but it's good to be aware of the negative for self-awareness sake. Right. Absolutely. And frankly, once you begin to understand what these motivational themes are that drive you, you can seek ways to activate them in your life. You know, so I mentioned earlier, you know, the the fact that book writing isn't necessarily scratching my meet the challenge motivation because it's such a long arc project. I'm not motivated. I'm not motivated by a two year challenge. I want to challenge today. So, you know, the way I challenge myself, Eric, is I say, I'm going to write 500 words before 930 today. You know, and, and that's going to be how I challenge myself with this book is every day before 930, I'm going to write 500 words and they might be terrible, but that's okay because I met the challenge for the day. You know, we can find ways of activating our motivation once we understand like filing, for example, you know, I mentioned that as an example earlier. Okay. Well, today before 10 o'clock, I'm going to file 100 file folders or whatever it is. You know, yep. um, I really don't have that many file folders <laughs> laying around my office, but if I did, that would be really strange. Um, but you know, we can, we can figure out ways to activate our motivation in our day-to-day life. So for example, bring to completion, Eric, at the end of the day, a really good thing for you to think about as a way to kind of root yourself in the good that you were doing and also to reconnect with your motivational energy is to ask yourself, what did I complete today? Is there anything that's hanging over my head right now that I've not completed that's bothering me? Because again, that's one of the shadow side attributes is you're annoyed when you can't when you haven't completed something and you can't really rest until something is completed. So if you have a plan for when you're going to complete that, that will completely nullify that 
you know, this, that unrest or that lack of ability to, to really settle into being with your family or whatever, as long as you have a plan for completing it, usually you're going to be okay. So at the end of the day, just sort of doing an assessment of what's still in process. Uh, what did I complete today as a way to sort of check those things off and move on and feel good about your work, but also what's my plan for completing the rest of it that can go a long way toward creating a sense of calm and rest in your life. Oh, that's so true because especially in knowledge work where we're not tangibly doing something each day. You know, we don't have those file folders that you can put away. And then once you know they're put away visibly, tangibly in your office, it's all digital files. It's all, you know, you, right. you moved them internally. You you sent them through the interwebs and or, and or received them. But that doesn't really say like in a tangible in my hand way in the way that it used to mean that something was accomplished. You know, a hard day's work, in other words, is now digitally pushing things. And so this, yeah, this is a huge thing for me and a huge thing for uh, people working, not just in digital office spaces, but, you know, at home as well, when things are kind of in a flurry of activity like that. Absolutely. And, you know, more and more of us are in roles where we are, we're process workers, right? Like we're part of a small part of a much bigger machine that's working. It's just that our work is being done with our mind. And so we, it's really difficult, especially again, I'll go back to your bring to completion motivation. And I know we're really sort of harping on this one, but that's kind of the example we have in front of us. It's really difficult for people who are just basically adding one piece to a much larger puzzle that a lot of people are completing to really feel like they've check something off or they've really made some kind of progress when they're just doing incremental work over the course of a couple of years. So I've had a conversation uh, at an organ, uh, an architectural firm and I was asking them, you know, what is, you know, as, as architects or as engineers or as people who are working on these projects, it might take like five years to complete, you know, because these are huge projects they're working on. You know, what's one of the biggest struggles? And they say, it's, it's the fact that I'm just focused on like one little piece of a really huge thing. And it's really hard to see the impact I'm having on the bigger project that's happening. And that can be a real struggle for us. But once we begin to understand what it is that uniquely drives us, we can begin to find ways. It's almost like a game. We can find ways of activating our motivation regardless of the tasks because we can bring that motivation to our tasks instead of looking for our tasks to motivate us. Mm. You know, one thing we haven't really talked about is where these different motivations uh, group together into different, you call them teams in the book. Um, I'd love to maybe break that down. I know we've got, let's see, six different ones. Yeah, um, so there's six. We we call them families, and yes. the reason we call them I was families, thinking I was thinking teams because we were using the sports analogies. That's why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can call them teams if you want. Is it, but, no, but families are we, good. <laughs> but the reason we call them families is because they share some DNA, right? So we were even wrestling with whether. Um, and by the way, these these families have existed for a long time, so we've known that these families uh, kind of live together and share some DNA. The real practical kind of nuts and bolts application of these motivations are at the theme level, the motivational theme level, the 27 themes. But there are six families that live together that kind of share some DNA. So just like, you know, if you have a brother or sister, you probably, well, you definitely share some DNA with them, but you might also be very, very different in terms of how you live and you have a different personality and all that. That's kind of how these motivational families are as well. The themes that live together share some DNA, but they're also very different in how they are activated. So the six families, the first one is the achiever. 
And the achiever is driven to move forward and persevere and to complete challenging objectives. So overcome is one of the themes that's within that achiever family that we talked about earlier, right? Um, And so is bring to completion, by the way. Um, The second family is the learner family. And the learner family is motivated to explore and to learn things and to gain mastery and to demonstrate whatever knowledge that they've they've gained. And so these typically are the people who ask a lot of questions. These are the people who love to explore things and learn things. And they have a lot of patience for process, you know, and all of that. The third family are the optimizers. The optimizers are motivated to set up an operation or to ensure that systems are functioning well. So these tend to be people who can come in and fix problems. They can optimize things. They can make them as efficient as possible. And that's really what drives them. They want to be the the person that makes something as efficient as possible. So they're great at like managing processes. They're great at um, you know making sure that the trains are running on time, right, or whatever it is. That's what they're really good at. The fourth is the visionary. And the visionary is motivated to make an impact according to what's possible or what's ideal. So they tend to live in the future. They craft a vision, right? And they're kind of living out in the future somewhere, thinking about where the rest of us are going to be headed at some point. They live in their head a lot and often they have difficulty coming back and reconnecting their vision with what's practically in front of them. So that's one of the things that they sometimes wrestle with. The key contributor family is the next one. The key contributor uh, wants to be basically at the center of the action, right? They want to know that they made a contribution that was important to the organization or to the team or to the project, to the effort. Um, They're very clear about how they stand apart from others. Uh, For example, one of the themes is be unique, And so I've come across a number of people who really just want to distinguish themselves from other people by displaying how their talent is different, how they have some different quality, um, the way that they dress, the way they present themselves. They just they want to be unique. That's where they get their motivational energy. Um, And so, you know, that's that's one example of somebody who kind of falls under this key contributor uh, motivation or family. And then finally, the final family is the team player. And the team player family is about being a part of the collective effort. They want to be in a group context. Uh, they want to collaborate. They, they want to take care of people. They want to meet expectations. Uh, they want to, one of the themes is called make the grade, which means that they want to gain acceptance into a group. And primarily their motivation comes from being a part of some group in some capacity. So for example, um, you know, there are a lot of people who join the military uh, because they love the challenge of meeting the standards of whatever branch of the military that they're in, right? So they identify with those standards and they love the code and it's all about the code for them, you know, and they want to sort of be a part of that. That would be an example of somebody motivated to make the grade. Um, So that, those are the, those are the six families. You've got optimizer, visionary, you've got achiever, you've got learner, you've got the key contributor and you've got the team player and all of the 27 themes break out within those six families. And so then to give another example, since we've kind of been referring back to the assessment that I took, um, and, and your, you know, your miles may vary based on what your assessment brings to you, but I have found that I basically, my five motivations split out in between three different families. Right. So, uh, let's see here. It's achiever with, um, bring to completion and overcome mm-hmm. and then learner which is where uh, explore and comprehend and express are. Yes. And then optimizer, which is where uh, make it work is found. Right. Right. Which is, which is not uncommon by the way. So that's why we say the, the real rubber meets the road. Uh, practical insight is at the theme level, not at the, 
at the family level because there are enough differences between the motivations and how they play out day to day. You can't just say, oh, I'm a visionary. Oh, I'm an achieve. Now, <laughs> every so often, we will come across someone whose top five happen to all be in the same family. And that's a very, very rare thing when that happens. But it's like, yeah, you're kind of pretty much a visionary. Like we could kind of pretty much say that um, you look just like your father kind of thing, right? Yeah. To put it back in the DNA terms. Um, but, you know, that's that's very, very rare that that happens. Um, and then also you, you kind of also have to look at where those motivations score in relation to each other on the 10 point scale, right? So bring to completion was like a if you don't mind me saying this publicly, but it was, was a ten, was a ten for you. Pretty unusual that, like, basically that far and away was unquestionably your strongest motivation mm-hmm. is bring bring to completion, um, followed by comprehend and express and overcome, which are pretty close to each other. But then you start to drop off a little bit, like with make it work and explore. So, and then some of the others. So, you know, really without a doubt, those top couple or three are the ones where you're getting most of your motivational energy. Uh, you know, which is bring to completion, comprehend and express and overcome. So if you're trying to sell Eric something, I'm just right now, I'm giving you a clue about how to, if you want to be on this podcast, right? Wow. Like I'm giving you a clue about how to, how to pitch him. Actually, that's a very good point. Some of those that come in with that expectation of, Hey, this is what bringing it to completion would look like in, you know, pitch related wise. And, mm-hmm. and even, uh, showing that they comprehend and can express that is yes. actually a really good and again all that given that it also the topic applies to the show you have you have cracked that nut my friend i cannot believe that you <laughs> gave that secret away but it is definitely true so uh, the other thing that i can notice then is that my my optimizing or my make it work as well as my um learner uh, or at least the exploring side of the learner uh, are lower point wise and I think I talked earlier about this. Oh, no, there's this wrestling between the bring to completion and the exploring. It's not really a fair fight. Explore is less of a motivator for me, but it's there almost like a monkey on my back that I have to appease occasionally enough that it then goes away. Right. And that's why, again, that's why it's important that you recognize that it's there so that you can recognize that internal conflict. Yes. Right. And you can, and you can make sure that, so I'll give you another example. One of my top uh, motivational themes is influence behavior. So you can imagine that somebody who speaks in front of you know, tens of thousands or even hundreds of thousands of people a year at conferences, like that's a pretty amazing motivation to to have driving me because I can look out into people's eyes and I can see them nodding their head. I can hear them laugh. And it, it really is motivating and energizing to me with the, you know, those rare exceptions where, you know, for example, I'll walk off stage and think I've bombed because for whatever reason, the crowd was just a very stoic crowd until people come out and they tell me like, no, it was actually, it was really good. Right. And then suddenly I'm like energized again. But how do you think that translates? to a virtual world where now all of my speaking and training is being done virtually, where I'm staring into a camera. It's really, really difficult for me. And I'm doing it, but it's really difficult because I'm not getting that natural motivational energy that comes from knowing that I'm impacting other people with my thoughts. Instead, you know, I'm getting a chat box full of stuff or I'm getting you know questions emailed to me after or feedback emailed after. I'm sure you experience this with a podcast too, right? Like, 
you know, our podcast, the Axion Creatives, downloaded millions of times a year. But podcast audiences aren't always the most vocal. You know, they, they, they don't always like email you and tell you, hey, this episode really resonated. Why? Because they're in the car, they're at the gym, like they're not thinking about that in, in the moment. And so when I go for a while without any kind of feedback from the audience, I notice sometimes I can kind of get into a funk. And now I have language to understand why. It's because I'm not seeing the impact of my work. So I've started saving emails. I've started saving those positive responses that I do get from people because then I can I can go back to those and I can say, okay, yeah, okay. My Now it sounds a little hokey, but like I can remind myself, okay, the work I'm doing is having an impact. I am seeing some impact for the, all the effort that I'm putting into it. Um, and I can kind of stay rooted in that because I know that's important to my motivational core that I can see the impact of my work. I've done that myself personally. So, and I can you know, attest to the impact that that makes for me. And so I can imagine how much more impactful that is for you, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, oh, man. And the other thing I think then is that just, you know, again, to, to go to the virtual thing, again, when we're doing all this work virtually and we don't have that immediate feedback, it's almost like you've got to lace your your virtual trainings, et cetera, in with, you almost sound like a YouTuber who's like, all right, hit that like button, click that bell, you know, <laughs> which I've seen so many times parodied now. It's hilarious. But it's right. true that that's kind of what that is. And it's not just vanity metrics. There is, it, it's validation. It's, um, sure. it's reinforcement. So, uh, so like that bell for Todd, if you are <laughs> at one of his trainings. No, um, it, it's, it does go to show that there is some valid um, social proof reinforcement when it comes to digital content, for sure. But I agree with you. The the, the podcast, uh, I, I don't want to say it's passive listening because they're definitely active, um, mm-hmm. but it's that it's it's the wrong time and place. It's not necessarily in the mode. You know, you're, you're you are, you know, somebody right now is listening to this as they're driving, as they're working out. And that's not the most ideal time safety wise even to be, you know, going and sending an email of appreciation or or tweeting out or, or something. So, right. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there's, there's so much more we could talk about here, but I, I hope that in this conversation, we've kind of painted the picture, uh, sharing not just from my assessment, but all, but also from yours, Todd, that this is really important. This is something that's going to get real results. And honestly, you're, you're going to have a greater sense of self-awareness because of this, but not just self-awareness that is, okay, cool. I have knowledge about myself now, but it's actually actionable. And translates into literal action on the work that you're doing. I love this. So yeah, and and the thing you know, the thing to to remember is motivation isn't a nice to have, right? Um, motivation is the base layer of all of your productivity engagement in your life. So once you begin to understand these motivational themes and how they're playing out in your life, it will begin to explain. You will be, you will have an explanation and understanding of maybe why you continue to fall into some of the same unproductive habits over and over or why certain kinds of work just really resonated with you, but you, you never really had language to describe it. I mean, it will completely change the way that you see your day-to-day, all of your responsibilities, and then how you structure your day so that you're really putting yourself in the sweet spot of maximum effectiveness and engagement on a, on a daily basis. Yeah, man. Well, the book as we're recording this hasn't come out yet just yet, but it will be by the time you're listening to this. So I would love to direct people to where it's most beneficial to either find out more or go grab it. Todd, where can people grab the book? 
So the book's available anywhere books are sold. Um, if you want more information about the assessment and all of those things, you can go to motivationcode.com uh, and there you can find the assessment and the book and pretty much anything else that you want. Perfect. Uh, I, honestly, I highly endorse this book. I, I mean, not not literally. I'm not in the book endorsements, <laughs> but I would be if I was asked. But I will. This is I mean, to be quite honest, again, there's a handful of books. There's about five of them. That, and this is now moved into the five. I'm not going to uh-huh. say which one it bumped because I don't know, really. But <laughs> it, it's not like I hold that list like right here in front of me and I literally cross it off. But this is in there now as far as somebody's looking for the next book for them productivity wise. This is it. Go grab it. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Well, that's another podcast crossed off your podcast listening to-do list. I hope that like me, you just enjoyed this conversation with Todd Henry. I think now you can probably see why the motivation code is going to be another invaluable tool in your productivity arsenal. I've linked that up in the show notes for you, which you can find at beyondthetodolist.com slash 344. That's also where you can share the show if you found benefit in this and know somebody else who needs to hear this episode. You can also share by hitting the share button in your podcast player app of choice, wherever you're listening to this right now. Thank you again for sharing. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next episode.